So all this month, um, what we are doing is comparing, you can turn me down a little bit, I think. Um, all this month, we're comparing scripture from different, um, from different religions and from different cultures and seeing what the similarities are. Um, Bede Griffiths, who was a, a wonderful, beautiful uh, Anglican priest who converted to Catholicism to be a monk and then moved to India and set up an ashram <laughs> and became a devout devotee of uh, yoga and Hinduism. Beautiful, beautiful man, if you can read anything by him or about him. He said that in his exploration of all these religions, what he found is that they are infinite in multiplicity and yet all one at depth. What he used to describe is like the stories and the mythologies of each religion are very, very different how Shakti and Brahman made the world, or how God created Adam and, Adam and Eve, or how the, all these stories are different. But if you take every story, don't get caught up in the story, find the wisdom in it, and follow the path to its deepest place, every single religion leads to love. And anyone who is practicing love unconditionally and to the best of their ability is living the life of God, whether they call it Allah or Shiva or Mother Mary or Kuan Yin or God or Jesus or the Christ. We're here not to argue about the details, but to understand that we are here created as beings of love to remember the love that we are and to live it out in the world in a way that, and that causes love to answer. Love is drawn to love always. Love is always drawn to love. Guess what's drawn to hatred? Guess what's drawn to sarcasm? So we choose what we give out, and then we receive that back. We do it on a daily basis and we see our world transformed by love. And so the lessons of the divine mother, the divine feminine, um, are these qualities, not women, although women are known to embody these qualities, especially in our culture, more known to embody these qualities, but they are not exclusively female, they are feminine just as there are divine qualities of masculinity that, are, that females can inhabit as well as males. So I have a, a very, very good friend um, who was raised by a mother who really, although she was very feminine in her appearance, embodied masculine qualities of drivenness, of ambition, of logic, of reason, and a father who was absolutely love and nurturing in expression. And so she got this really beautiful vision, and so did I, because I was friends with this family. She got this beautiful vision of how the divine feminine has nothing to do with the gender of the person who is expressing it. Divine masculine has nothing to do with the gender of the person who is expressing it. And yet... In ancient religions up to present day, we tend to, work, to worship the divine feminine in female form. 
And as I've talked about before, you know, the Catholic Church was so really, when, once they organized, you know, Jesus did not create the Church of Christ. Jesus was teaching people how to be better Jews. That was what he was there for. And then this church was created around his teaching, but then a lot of mythology grew up around it as well. And the Catholic Church, um, the Romans organized it into the Catholic Church. And when it became the official religion of the Roman Empire, started telling people how they needed to practice it. There are rules about this thing. You can't just go around loving people, right? That's what organized religion is. Don't just go around loving people. Let me tell you how to do it. And so what they found is that these ancient people, these pre-Christian people, had been worshiping God in female form for millennia before the Christian church. And they weren't ready to give that up. And so the Catholic church sort of appropriated the form of Mother Mary and said, well, here is a divine being. Um, she gave birth to Jesus. She was pure. This is what's in our mythology, in our legends. And so we can have them focus their worship of the divine feminine around this figure. And that is very much how it happened. And it's, and it's beautiful. I'm not saying that as a um, criticism of the Catholic Church. I'm saying it as an adm admiration of the people who instinctively knew that if they worshipped God only in masculine form, that there was some doom that could follow that. Because what is required more than anything is balance. Ambition is great. It gets things done. But ambition not tempered by compassion and understanding can be very destructive. We need both. We need both. And mother, it is Mother's Day. Mother is the most primal relationship of our lives. It just is. No matter whether you consider that you had a good and loving mother or a mother who um, would have been better off with cubs than children, um, it doesn't matter. We that is a primal relationship. We have an amazing attachment to mother. I've read so many stories of soldiers dying in war, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, who cried out, mommy, mother, amma, 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 mama. And it's interesting how primal even that word is. Um, in, in Germany, the word for mother is Mutter, but the familiar is Mami or Mama. Amma is what Tibetans, Hindus, most Semites, Amma. In Hebrew, Amma. In all the Romantic languages, Mama, Mama, Mami. And all of this embodies the mother principle, which is merciful which is compassionate, which is healing, which is nurturing. And so the prayer to Mother Mary, hear our prayers, hear our prayers. I want to talk about Mother Mary in the Western tradition and contrast it with Kuan Yin in the Eastern tradition, who's very important to Buddhists and uh, all over the Eastern world. So 
Mary hears prayers. That's part of the Hail Mary. Mother Mary, hear our prayers. With this understanding that this is a form of the divine that does hear us individually, um, intimately. Our relationship with mother is the most intimate relationship of our lives, our relationship between mother and child. So hear our prayers, and she hears. She's considered merciful and forgiving and understanding, and that she understands pain. That was one of the beauties of the Christian church is that we were presented with Jesus the Christ with a a form of God, if you will, that knew what it was like to be human, that wasn't so far above us that it couldn't possibly understand what it's like to be in pain. Jesus knew pain. It makes it easier for us to identify with Jesus. Mother Mary knew pain. She knew the pain of giving birth, and she knew the pain of losing her firstborn in a horrible, horrible way a way that none of us would ever want to experience. And so hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. That is the hail Mary in English. And basically what it says is, we, under, we get that you understand, so will you please pray with us and for us because we need an understanding God. And that's beautiful until you understand that you don't need an intermediary. You don't need something to intercede. The spirit of the divine lives within you right now. It is even more intimate than the relationship between you and your mother or a mother and a child, it is actually within you. And that's what Jesus said over and over, the kingdom of heaven, stop looking for it. It's here, it's within you, it's among you. Quit looking around outside yourselves. Look right here. And so Mary is associated with purity with a sacred heart, with compassion and mercy and intuitive knowing, understanding, not head knowledge and logic and reasoning, which is a more masculine form of the divine, but the intuitive knowing, the understanding that comes from being a part of and feeling deeply. And so the legends appear repeatedly Women and children, there's a purity that they represent in all of the stories. Mary was considered personal to our needs. A, a wonderful story of Mary is the, I'm sure that you've seen the candles for the Virgin de Guadalupe, the Virgin of Guadalupe. This was at a, a vision of Mary that appeared to a poor man on top of a hillside in Mexico. And it just happened to be a mountain that was the holy here of the holy hill of Tepayek, which was dedicated to Tonantzin, who was the mother earth goddess of the Aztecs. Interesting that Mother Mary appeared to this man on the mother, mother earth mountain that the Aztecs um, had used to worship the divine feminine. And so when he went to the priest and said, I saw Mother Mary, they said, no, you didn't. 
you must have been seeing that other God that we don't talk about because it's not real. Even though it's not real, you didn't see it. You saw it, but you didn't see the one that we think is real. <laughs> see how tangled up when we, we get when we start talking about the stories, when we get tangled up in the stories rather than going to the meat of what is this about? A vision of the divine feminine came to him. Who, do, who cares what the name was? But that became um, the Virgin de Guadalupe, which is one of the most revered um, visions and images of Mother Mary across the Catholic world and beyond the Catholic world. Lots of people who aren't Catholic still claim that Virgin de Guadalupe Mary, after the death of Jesus, now we're talking about who we call Mother Mary, who um, the Beatles were talk, are, are talking about when they say, Mother Mary comes to me. <laughs> this Mother Mary had to flee after the death of Jesus. She fled to Ephesus, which is, you know, Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. The Ephesians are the ones who lived in Ephesus. Well, guess what? Ephesus was an ancient Greek city of the goddess. Ephesus was known as the, the goddess, um, as a city built for the goddess Artemis of Ephesus, Earth Mother. Many, many centuries before Christ, it was a center of ancient goddish, goddess worship where the mightiest temple, one of the seven wonders of the world, had been built for this goddess. And its government, the government of Ephesus, was known as being extremely compassionate, much more nurturing, divine, feminine-driven than masculine-driven. That is where she fled to, and that is where um, it is legendary that she died. In about 500 years after Jesus' death, a little less than 500 years after death, that's when the Catholic Church said, okay, people won't stop worshiping her, so we're going to call her officially. Now she is the mother of God. Mary is the mother of God. That made everyone who needed this feminine principle, not a feminine image necessarily, but a feminine principle, it gave them a feminine in image to worship. So the other thing that Mary, or that the divine feminine is very much um, a part of, is the Holy Trinity. Now the triangle has long been a symbol of the divine feminine. And the Star of David is made of two triangles. Did you ever think of that? But I am one. I am the one that is the, of the divine trinity, daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, temple of the Holy Spirit. So this idea, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all throughout Christianity, the Holy Spirit has been considered the feminine aspect of the trinity, We've never been without it. We just don't call it that because um, we've been in a patriarchal society for so long that we've become uncomfortable with feminine principle. The Holy Spirit is Sophia, the very presence of divine wisdom. That's the Holy Spirit. And that is very much um, in alignment with the idea in in Taoism of the yin and the yang. There has to be 
both. You can't, if you go with only one, you're going to end up in a mess. You have to have both. You have to have both. You have to have a reason and intuitive knowing. You have to have ambition and compassion. You have to have decisiveness and collaboration. All of that. One God, many faces. One God, many faces. One, many paths, one spirit. That's what we say here. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kuan Yin. We all probably know a little bit more about Mother Mary. At least we have the Beatles song. Um, Kuan Yin was one of the goddesses in, the, in China, one of the few goddesses who was not feared, <laughs> but instead was revered and loved. Um, the Sanskrit word um, Padmepani, born of the lotus, or Kuan Yin was the Chinese word, and all was considered the bodhisattva of compassion. Now, bodhisattva is one, um, the Buddha was a bodhisattva. It, it is, he achieved his awakening, and instead of just going into bliss, into nirvana, he made a choice to come back to earth and to help other beings awaken to the awakening that he had had. Kuan Yin is considered to be a person who also achieved awakening, but chose to come back to earth specifically to help the suffering, to find who was still hurting and lead them to a place where they wouldn't have to hurt anymore. She is the goddess of mercy, pity, salvation from misery. She is known for her purity, her wisdom, and her marvel working power. She is known, just as Mother Mary is known as the one who hears our cries, hear us, hear our prayers. She is known as the one who sees and hears the cry from the human world. She is the one who pays attention to sounds, who comforts the troubled, the sick, the lost, and the unfortunate. She is the goddess of fertility, bringer of children, and... Initially, she was just goddess of the suffering, but people kept grabbing onto this idea of, but I need a goddess who understands my suffering. And she became the goddess of seafarers and the god of travelers and the god of um, farmers and the goddess of all of these things because people understood that no matter what walk of life they were in, they needed this principle of the divine feminine to help ease their suffering, to help them understand and make sense of the world. There are legends about her that she was just an unknown woman who attained enlightenment and came back. She's also known, um, there are some legends that she actually was a Buddhist woman who through love and sacrifice had made it to nirvana and as she was about to enter the gates of heaven, she heard a cry. And she went, wait, how can I enter here when there are still people suffering there? You need some of that in your life? Some image of God that doesn't just leave you hanging, <laughs> blowing in the wind, that says, I hear you. I hear you. I'm with you. Don't worry. I'm your mother. Would your mother let you suffer? <laughs> right? I'm your mother. Come on, listen to me. 
She's also rumored to be the daughter of an Indian prince who wanted to become a nun, and her father was so angry that she wouldn't marry, because marriage, by the way, which we call the sacred sacrament, and we have all these fights in our country about who should be able to get married and who shouldn't, marriage was not actually considered a sacred thing at all until just a few hundred years ago. It was a contract. It was a way that fathers got rid of a mouth to feed, and other men um, got property from fathers. It was a way that kingdoms were joined. If you had a princess, she'd better marry a good prince because then you'd have a much larger kingdom. She wanted to become a nun. How dare she? And so he refused and refused until she just kept refusing to marry anybody. He finally let her go to the convent, but without telling her, he went to the mother superior and said, listen, give her all of the worst tasks. And and because he just figured then then she won't want to be a nun anymore. So he put her in she put her in the hospice where she was caring for the lepers, for the choleric, for the people who were suffering and dying. And she loved it. She found her calling there. And so, since she wouldn't leave the convent, she actually sent an executioner to kill her. And the, root, the legend is that when he was on his way down to her neck with his sword, he saw the compassion in her eyes as she said, I forgive you for what you have to do. Does that remind you of anybody? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And before the sword hit her neck, it shattered into a million pieces. And so, finally, they suffocated her. <laughs> She's got to die, right? But she didn't die. They tried to suffocate her, but she didn't die. And she lived out her life as a nun, and when her father became very ill, she was his nursemaid throughout his life. And he felt... He had a complete transformation in his idea about who she was and what she should have done. He saw his whole life differently from how he had seen it. And he created a statue of her. And here's the funny part about I just love looking this stuff up. The funny part about this statue is there it stands today. And um, part of the legend I left out is that one of the ways that, that in Chinese medicine that daughters at that time could heal was to actually take flesh from their own arms to use as medicine to give. So he said, because she was mutilated after this, and he did recover, and so when he commissioned the statue, he said, make sure that she has very, very clear arms, that we can see that her arms are, are, are whole and formed. And somehow the person who was making the statue misunderstood and made her with a lot of arms. <laughs> So sometimes you see, most of the time you see a statue of Kuan Yin and she's just this beautiful Chinese girl. But every once in a while you see one where she has, you know, lots and lots of arms coming out of her. But she is known as one of the Santashi or the three great beings renowned for power over the forces of nature. The three bodhisattvas of, um, she is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, basically. It's the same thing. Manjusri in Sanskrit, or Wenshu, Samatabhadra, or Pusain, and Avalokitesvara, or Kuan Yen, 
She is considered the third of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Stories, legends, truth. Here's my point. My point is it doesn't matter. If the story serves, then delight in the story. Use the story. That's what stories are for. They're for teaching. And the ancient people who passed the stories on verbally understood that they were all teaching stories. It was only when this idea of everything must be written down came in that they got, they were no longer alive to be told from one person to the other. Now, there it is, in stone, on paper, and people started treating them as histories, which they were never meant to be. The people who originally told and heard the stories understood that they were vehicles for teaching a larger truth. They were not considered to be the truth themselves. And so the point is, we need it. The point is, we are created, male and female, not one or the other, in the image of God. That's our culture, in the image of God, male and female. That means that the, God, the image that God is male and female. If he made male and female in his image, pronouns, man, they get us in so much trouble. But here today, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, the mother lives inside of you that nurturing instinct, that Sophia wisdom, that intuitive knowing, that compassionate ability to be able to look upon the suffering of others and understand that that too is me. I am not apart from you in your suffering. I am a part of you in your suffering as you are a part of me. We all have that as well as the divine masculine, which we'll talk about on Father's Day. But the point is we need it. We need mother, sister, teacher, nurturer, champion, forgiver. We needed our earthly mothers literally to survive. And many of us have gone forth and met the needs that were unmet by our earthly mothers by finding other people in our lives to mother, to mother us some male and some female. Think for a moment about who in your life, a teacher, a friend, an uncle, an aunt, a minister, a child, who has blessed your life with nurturing, with love, with compassion, with understanding. And just in your mind, or out loud if you're going to see him today, say, Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. We're going to take that um, idea into... So if you will, just get quiet. Actually, you're awfully quiet. <laughs> Still yourselves in your seat and just... Allow that generous breath of life that is proof 
of divine, unconditional, constant, continuous love flowing into and through you in every moment. Just allow that breath. And acknowledge that that breath is nurturing you from the inside out. And say thank you. And as you breathe, focus your breath in this place we call the heart space. Visualize a small flame the size of a thumb right there at your heart. And with every breath, fan that flame. Allow that flame to be fanned with every breath you take so that it grows larger and larger. until its warmth and light fills up your whole chest. Allow that warmth and light to expand into your abdomen. Down into your legs, your feet, into your shoulders and down your arms. Up your neck and into your head. Until you understand that you are a body of light. that we are lesser beings who seek for light to be shown upon us. But divine love tells us that we are the expression into form of divine love, therefore of divine light. that our love lights up the world. As we are lit from within by that holy spark. As we go out into the world, we have the power to illuminate all that we see, all that we hear. We have the power to look through the eyes of love and compassion.
and to see those things that the world thinks of as ugliness as simply a place of suffering that calls for more love. And that we have the power to shine our love light into those places. This light in us, this life and love in us is so strong that it can bring forgiveness even to the greatest injury. That it can bring mercy to the greatest shame. a light so strong upon hatred that it is revealed as simply fear. And that that fear will draw our compassion to it. compassionate one, and yet we ourselves embody the compassionate one when we understand that we have that power and we choose, we choose to use the power of the love within us to bless the world. Everything that doesn't look like love is calling for our love, and we have more than enough love to give. And now we focus again within ourselves. Where are the places that we are afraid that we're unforgivable. We shine that love of forgiveness and compassion in and on and to ourselves. We allow that light of love and compassion that is God in action to bathe us with its light. until there are no dark places. Knowing that the dark places appear as we stand in our own light and cast a shadow, and that we always have the option to turn and shine the light.
with and for and in ourselves, and that strengthens us to be able to shine the light with and for and on the rest of the world. And in this very way, we awaken to the oneness that we are. We awaken to our own healing and the healing of humanity. For every moment that we're able to remember this, this light, this love, this compassion that is ours, we give so much thanks. And when we forget, we forgive ourselves for forgetting. And then we let go, let it be, and choose love once more. For this amazing privilege to be able to know that, to have that awareness that the love we need is here for us. We are so grateful. And we say, thank you. Thank you, God. Goddess, Father, Mother, Divine Presence. And so it is. Amen.